0: Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life.
1: Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, creator of crazyperfectlife.com, a place to go to help you find meaning each day, and author of the book Crush Cancer, the book I needed when I heard those terrifying words, you have cancer, available on Amazon.
0: Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a 7 time cancer thriver. But more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten.
1: Mary Dell Harrington is co-founder of the website Grown and Flown and the community Grown and Flown Parents, a very active group on Facebook. She's a co-author of Grown and Flown, How to Support Your Teen, Stay Close as a Family, and Raise Independent Adults, which she co-authored with Lisa Heffernan. Welcome, Mary Dell. Garth and I are so happy to have you today. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So, Garth and I each have a daughter who is a sophomore in college. And many of our listeners have kids that are soon to be in college or already are in school. And they all just went back to school. And I know for me, it was a little bit hard, even though it wasn't my first radio, even though I've said goodbye many times before, but it was still, it still hurt a little bit. How about you, Garth? Did you feel that?
0: So I we just took Emma back yesterday. It was an unplanned trip for Lisa and I. Emma has her own car. We fully expected her to be able to drive back for herself. However, the weather all of a sudden just turned into this massive snow issue between here and Lexington. And so at about eight o'clock in the morning, I'm in my home office getting ready to start my work day. And Lisa comes in and says, is there anything on your schedule that you can't move around today? And so... We made this unscheduled trip to take her back. So Lisa and she drove in Lisa's car and I drove Emma's car. And to be really brutally honest, you know, I was there in Emma's car by myself driving for three hours because the weather was so bad. And all I could think of is, hey, I really wanted Christmas break to be a little bit longer and (laughs) and I'm not ready for my daughter to be away again.
1: Yeah, so Mary, I'm sure you hear this a lot from your community. What tips do you have on how to make it a little less painful when the kids go back to school?
2: You know know what, it is painful. There's no beating around the bush. The thing that always used to help me was knowing that I had a planned time when I would see our son or daughter again. Then it wasn't just this big, you know, open calendar where of unknown, you knew that you were gonna go and, you know, see them at spring break when they may be coming home or you would go down and visit them at school. And that took the sting out of it a little bit, because then we could think about when we were going to get together again in a very specific way.
1: I totally agree with you 100%. I feel like it's easier for me when I know when I'm going to see Zoe again. And that's exactly what you said, because it kind of takes the uncertainty out of it. So you have this unbelievable active group on Facebook and it's really cool because I guess people message you and then you post things a lot of times privately, if you will, like you don't say anonymously. I can't even imagine how many texts or messages you must get in a day asking for (laughs) advice. A lot. (laughs) Yeah. Like tell us about this. Like how did this community even start?
2: Sure. Well, Grown and Flown, maybe I should back up a little tiny bit for your followers who may not know much about Grown and Flown. Um, Lisa Haffernan, my old friend, at at this point, we we have been friends for a long time. We met each other when our youngest children, who are now 23 and 24, were in third grade. All of our kids went to the same school, and we got to know each other through parent volunteer work and through having kids in the same grade. And she and I decided very few people were writing for parents who had kids in high school and college on a consistent basis. Occasionally, there would be a one-off. You know, Lisa Belkin Mm -hmm. in the New York Times would write about taking her son to college because she was indeed at that life stage. But most of what we were reading and what was available, we weren't really reading it, but what was out there were these great and, you know, imaginative and wonderful writing but about kids zero to three, or maybe they would go up to 10 on a routine editorial basis. So we started Grown and Flown as sort of a personal blog. Lisa's a New York Times bestselling author, and my background had been in media. But you know, mainly we just started it and started writing about our a little bit about our own experiences, but but mainly about the experience of being a parent of a teen. So it has now grown to more than 500 writers and contributors. It's it's well beyond what our five data points, as we like to call our yeah. our five children and our two families could have ever inspired us to write about because there are infinite stories, so many experts who have been generous with their time and written for us. But about four years ago, and this is now I'm finally answering your question, Dara, (laughs) we started a Facebook group on as kind of an experiment. We didn't know where it would take us. And in the four years that we have run the group, there are now almost 140,000 members and requests by the hundreds every single day. How do you even manage that? Lisa and I are joined by Helene Wingens, our infinitely talented managing editor, and then we have four volunteers, volunteer moderators, and because everybody kind of our age doesn't really sleep super well, (laughs) we're kind of looking in on the group almost 24-7, and we're in a couple of different time zones, so that helps. We have post approval, so nothing goes up without one of us taking a look to make sure that it's appropriate for the post. But for the literal million, and that's two or 300 posts a day, for the literal mm-hmm. millions of comments and things, yeah. they're just very much self-starting, and, and they, they are talking constantly. But what you were specifically asking, about, again, I'm sorry for this long wind-up, about the anonymous questions. We know that there are, you know, when our kids were little, it wasn't that big of a deal to talk to people about, well, should my fifth grader give up violin? You know, should I be... Starting my six-year-old in kindergarten, should I wait until he's six or can I can I go ahead and push him at five? He seems ready. Those kind of conversations were very common and very public. You didn't feel like you were divulging too much about your child at that age in their lives. But a lot of the questions that you get as a parent of a teen are things that are so sensitive and so private and they're so not your story to tell. They are your yeah, child's yeah. teen story that we want parents to have a way to ask these questions, but to protect the privacy. So we started very early on with asking a question for a mom who was about to take her oldest to college and her husband had just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And she wanted to know what she should do to help her daughter have as good as possible entry into college while still um, knowing what was gonna be coming down the road. And we post dozens of anonymous posts daily from members who are facing parenting questions that they never in a million years thought they would face.
1: It's such a beautiful place for people to just ask for advice and get heartfelt advice from other people who are sort of out there living with their own teens and sharing wisdom and advice. And I think that's what makes it so successful is that it's so heartfelt. I mean, everyone's there because they truly want to help other people. And I love that Garth and I are, you know, everything we, that we bring to the table is sort of through the lens of our personal health experiences. And one thing that we really learned, and we both have very different experiences, but one thing that we both I think really learned from what we went through is just the value of relationships and doing what we can to grow the relationships we have with the people we love. And Garth does that through his napkin notes to his daughter, Emma. I do that through the love letters that I write to my daughter, Zoe, but I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on how can we continue to grow and strengthen the relationships we have with our kids, when they don't live with us anymore, because I think, you know, that's what's so scary for a lot of people is that, okay, I've raised this child now they're leaving, but I want to make sure that our closeness continues. And I really would like to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Well, one thing that makes it very scary, I think is that we all look back and remember what it was like when we were in college And we would talk to our parents probably once a day on Sundays when the rates went down. Hmm. Um, And some, as Lisa likes to say, the 10-minute conversation she had with her parents, five minutes were talking about how expensive the phone call was. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe there was five minutes of conversation about, you know, how's life? It is entirely different. We have, um, as part of writing the book, we look into a lot of research into how different parenting is now than it was when we were all teenagers. And I think we kind of all feel that, but may be somewhat uncomfortable with that. We may think that perhaps that closeness or that connectivity is maybe not helpful. And maybe it was better when we were only talking to our parents once a week. But the research all points out to the fact that our generation of parents and, is much closer than with teens than we were with our own parents. Now, girls were always somewhat more inclined to share things with their parents, but the young men in our generation were definitely not. But now the research shows that the gender gap has really closed, and it's both young men and young women who are much more connected to their parents in a way that benefits both generations. They're more inclined to talk to us about career choices, financial decisions, even their relationships, because they look to us as mentors. And how wonderful is that? You know, who better than parents to mentor their, their emerging adults, because we've known them since before they were born mm. and love them more than anyone. So I think when you're just on the cusp of this experience, like you two are with Emma and Zoe, where you have just sort of begun to experience this physical closeness, it can be very intimidating because you worry that maybe you are not going to maintain that intimacy parent child relationship that you've always had. But Lisa and I both are on the other side of college with our kids and we see that we have like an ongoing conversation with them. You know, thank goodness for technology, but that's a beneficial thing about technology family group threads where you throw in photos mm-hmm. and jokes and articles I mean, that's a wonderful way to maintain that closeness and that connectivity. So I think I would say to parents who are worried about that, not to be so concerned because the relationship that you have with your teen and young adult is likely to be very different than the one you have with your own parents, which may have been more of a distant one. It was just the nature of generational differences.
0: You know, I think back about the heartache I put my parents through, <laughs> and, and it wasn't necessarily on purpose. It was absolutely situational. But also, I, I think that I was very much a typical teen boy in that I didn't necessarily think about the need to communicate back to my parents. But I was an exchange student as a junior in high school, and wow. airmail ma- air took three weeks.
2: Those little uh, thin blue sheets of paper. Exactly. You probably used exactly. Those, yes. And
0: phone calls. I think that all in, we probably made less than four phone calls in the year that I was gone. And mostly because it was $100 mm-hmm. once you started talking. Yeah. And really uh,
1: expensive. And we the- were all so tuned in to. That expense,
0: yes. right? Like
1: yes. we were all kind of like, okay, we're really gonna only talk for five minutes, for ten minutes. I mean, I feel like we were all just our generation. We paid attention to that.
2: It was we, then, really a luxury. Yeah, yes. oh, absolutely.
1: Not to a that to my thing. Kids, and they look at me like I am crazy. <laughs> yes.
0: And then when I graduated high school, ten days after that, I went off to basic training because I was going to military college, and. I think that I probably called my parents on Sundays, but I really don't remember that because it was such an intense period. And if I did call, it certainly wasn't a high quality call. Mm -hmm. And then when Emma had an opportunity to go away a couple of summers ago for five weeks, she had gotten into two summer programs back to back. And I immediately felt the other side of that equation and yeah. my wife, Lisa, really felt it because she had this expectation that Emma, our teen daughter, would have greater communication skills and needs than what we expected or than what we what she actually did. So when Emma went away to college her first semester, I sat down with her and I made a deal with her. I said, look, you know, I know that everything's going to be really new and you're going to want to soak this in, not to mention the fact that you're going to have a really heavy academic schedule Mm -hmm. but if you call mom once a week and you text her two other days a week i promise you that there will be no surprise visits
1: Mm. well that's a decent deal
0: and i think does lisa
1: know that you made this deal
0: i think i might have brought it up afterwards (laughs) like maybe just recently within the past few months but you know especially at the time lisa was working two and a half three and a half days a week And Lexington is only two hours away. So a surprise visit would not be out of the question for sure, especially if there had been a week or two without any communication. Hmm. Um, I could absolutely see Lisa saying, oh, you know, I don't have to work this Wednesday. I'm heading off to Lexington. See you later. And not telling Emma. And so that was a it was a good deal. And I helped Emma with, hey, let's let's set up a recurring alarm. So yeah. that you're always just, just you know, even if it doesn't happen, that at least you're mindful of the fact that we have just sent our daughter away to college and we are going to miss you more than you can even possibly imagine. And we just need a little, just give us a yeah. little high or send us a gift or, you know, mm-hmm. hey, I had a great class today or I had a crappy class today and just give us this little tiny morsel and we will survive off of that breadcrumb. <laughs>
2: It, it's so little. Our kids don't realize how little we really need to hear from them. Just a few little morsels, as you put it, really so keeps, true.
1: Us,
2: keeps us feeling like they're thriving.
1: We were laughing so hard. So Zoe, just obviously I said she just went back to school, but when she was home, she came into my room one day and she's like, okay, I have realized that while I'm at home, there's pretty much nothing I can ask from you that you won't do. She's like you know, I could say, I want such and such for dinner right now. And you would literally say, okay. And you would drive to the store and get all the ingredients and you would do it. She's like, I could say that I want to go do blah, blah, blah. And you would cancel your plans and we would do it. She's like, I just realize how happy you are to have me home and how good you are to me. And no, we were, and I, I know I was so, it was, but it's so true. I mean, yes. basically, there's nothing that I won't do for her when she's home. I mean, you know, she's not taking advantage of it. But my other daughter, who is a junior in high school, she's watching this. And it's, you know, it's sort of interesting because she'll just kind of sit back and laugh and say, you know, are you kidding (laughs) or I'm going to expect this kind of treatment when I go to school. So have you seen that with just sort of, I think different ages of kids within the household and how the family dynamics changes? Well, it's definitely
2: such a big stage obviously when, and so has such an impact not only on us as parents, but also this younger siblings as kids go away to school. I mean, the whole family dynamic tilts a little bit, And Certainly, as our younger kids have always done, they've always observed the older children in the family and taken clues and learned from and and been more skillful perhaps with their parents Mm -hmm. because they see what works and what doesn't work. And they learn from that. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much a common experience. But definitely, it's such a huge life change. I mean, it's just every bit as impactful and major deal as when we brought our children home from the hospital. You know, it's just 18 years later, we have this other big thing that's happening in our lives when our kids go away.
0: So I have to say, and I just I want to speak on John's behalf, Dara. Mm. Uh, because I feel like John in is my, my husband,
2: Mary Dell. <laughs> I I was putting that together. But okay, thank you. <laughs>
0: um, and maybe John doesn't experience this, but I feel like in my household, when Emma is home, and much less so over summer, but definitely on these shorter breaks or longer weekends, I feel like I'm the Avi of our house. So. Emma does the same thing she's like hey I would like to have such and such for dinner and Lisa's all getting dinner ready and whatnot and I'm like nobody asked me what I wanted for dinner and I really didn't want that and look at all of the effort that my wife is going to to have a great break experience for my daughter and I'm like I I'm looking around the house thinking I'm chopped liver
1: yeah (laughs) I definitely think that's true so, Mary Dell, what would you say three things that you would tell any new family who has a child who is about to go to college? Three things that you think are going to help them as they navigate the waters?
2: Well, I think one of the very first things to do is to think about whether or not your child is actually ready to go to school. I think that not necessarily assuming that going away to college is the optimal next step, is a really important place for parents to start. We talk about this in the book. In fact, we, I wish we were able to be on Skype, or we'll we're, we're have a video because my copy of the book, I've bookmarked with 27 pages uh, mm. of sort of actionable items. In fact, we have a guide, which we'd be happy to send to you in case your readers are interested, on 27 pages to bookmark, and this is one of them. But trying to determine whether or not your child is really ready is really huge because so many kids go to college it just doesn't work for them it may not have been the right decision it might have been that you know working after school taking a gap year going to community college going into the military learning a trade any number of things other than four-year college was the best step so i think that's that is the most important thing i think for parents to think about is 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 college the right step is their child ready emotionally and from a maturity standpoint To handle this totally different environment than one that they've been accustomed to while they've been living at home and having a schedule that's largely made out for them. I mean, in high school, they're so busy five days a week with school and then sports or theater or whatever their interests are and possibly community service or working that they don't have a lot of free time. But as you both know, because you've seen both of your daughters in college now for a year and a half, when they go to school at college, they create their own schedules. You know, they can pack into their day as much as, as they have time for, but it's up to them to sort of put the pieces together. And that's a really different experience than what it was like when they were sort of spoon-fed what to do in college. So that's number one. I think the second thing that I would say to parents is we all talk about how we want our kids to be happy, and yet at the same time we say, but how are your grades? You know. <laughs> how are those classes going? You know, tell us about your teachers and whatnot. And I think our kids really see through that. If we really want our kids to be happy, we need to talk about, you know, what is it that's making their day, you know, the most fun? What is it that is they find funny? And this is especially true when they go off to school, they leave home that when, you're, when you don't have that daily eye contact, you know, you've, you know every nuance about your child because you see them every day. We have one of the writers who we interviewed is Professor Alan Schlechter, who is co-teaches with David Lerner, the most popular elective at NYU called The Science of Happiness. And he talks a lot about how we can't, if we really want our kids to be happy, we can't be sort of fake about it and just use platitudes about happiness without really trying to get to understand what makes them happy. So that's the second thing I would say is make sure that you are sincerely looking out for their happiness and it's not just something that you're giving lip service to.
1: I think that's so important because it's kind of like we say, and we had, remember when we had Lindsay on the podcast, Garth, and we actually talked to her about that And we she said the same thing. And she was referring to, I think, kids who were in I think this was like elementary school kids that parents would come in and she would say, what do you want for your kids? And the parents would say, I want my kid to be happy. But at the same time, they're also saying, but they don't get straight A's and they're not being perfect. And it's like, yeah, basically unconditional happiness, I think is kind of what we're all saying.
0: Emma was, gosh, I, when she was in early middle school, I think they targeted her for I don't know, like advanced language or gifted language or something like that. And they I was fortunate and lucky enough to be the parent who could go in that day and meet with the administration to understand what that meant. And they kind of went through the whole spiel and then handed me this piece of paper, this form, and they said, and if she doesn't get into the program, this is how you appeal. And I sat back and I said, wait a minute, you are all the experts here. I'm just this schlub of a dad. And you're already setting this up that I can appeal if you say she's not gifted. And how old was she? I don't know, like 10, maybe 11. And, And all I could think of is, can you just please make sure my daughter has a great educational experience? I never asked what Emma's grades were. I always asked what she learned. Well, how are you expanding your mind? How are you putting the pieces together, I think that there's always room for that discussion of what does the performance look like? But that was really handled by Lisa. And I enjoyed the fact that I could sit back yeah. and say, well, tell me what you learned about democracy today.
1: Yeah. Well, sorry, Mary, we cut you off. We were on the oh, third time. The third thing. Yeah, but sure. yeah.
2: Sure. The, the third thing I would say is comes under the heading of stress. I think we talk about being stressed all the time. Our kids talk about being stressed. Our kids are busier than we were when we were their age. I think we we remember back their life. Their life as a high schooler is really different than probably what ours were like. But I think when we talk about stress, it's very easy to talk about it as in the negatives and not talk about it in a positive way. And I think helping our kids understand the difference between sort of Motivating stress and positive stress and the stress that's dysfunctional is a really important task and one that's great and needs to be started when your kid is still in high school with you. You could think about it in terms of an athletic analogy. I think that's one that really makes a lot of sense for us instinctively and especially for our kids who are involved in sports, they can understand completely. My daughter, for instance, ran a triathlon this summer. A sprint one, not not the Ironman, but a sprint one in Central Park. It was so great. Mel and I, my husband and I got to go and see, but she had to be, she had to train with biking and swimming and running. And we got to see her do all of the three pieces, but she had to train on all those ways. And she had to stress her body and get it to the level to where she could compete successfully in these different sports. Lisa's son run, ran a marathon, so in the same way, he had to stress his body so that he could be able to accomplish 26 miles, which is not something that you do on a you know, daily basis. If they overtrained, that would be dysfunctional, and it would put them in uh, jeopardy of not being able to compete. But as long as they got their bodies stressed to the level to where they were training appropriately, that stress was a good thing, and they would have never accomplished those goals had they not been able to do that. The only way you can learn is to stress your mind a little bit and to push yourself a little bit. But if they can think of it in terms of positive stress, not that any stress that they're feeling is bad, it can help them manage the stress that is part of life. We're all, if we were just status quo, we would never feel any stress. The only way to accomplish and learn and push yourself out there and, and accomplish additional things is to experience that stress. But helping them get to the sweet spot of what is too too much and dysfunctional then is something that we're... We're the best people to help them figure that out. Giving attention to that um, is an important thing for a parent to do.
0: I really love that. I think that Emma has difficulty managing her scholastic stress. She has a tendency to get easily overwhelmed when she looks at the whole big picture. And she, she doesn't immediately think to quickly, let's break things up into small chunks so that I can manage and understand what I have to do every day. Not that, oh my goodness, look what I have to do for the whole semester. Right. And she is an athlete and she recently started climbing. And so she is putting her body through a tremendous amount of physical stress in order to become a better climber. Right. Right.
2: I, I bet she is.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, the girl has calluses on her hands. It's amazing. And she's lifting weights so that she can better pull herself up you know, she's not going up El Capitan anytime soon, but she's absolutely planning to make climbing part of her exercise routine. Right. I certainly haven't really helped her draw that analogy between physical stress and brain stress and growing growing your, your knowledge stress. I'm excited to share that with her.
1: Good. Good. Let me know how that works out. I will. One thing that I love about your community and for all of our listeners who have children or kids, young adults who are in the college space or about to go to school, check out the Grown and Flown parent page on Facebook. It's a beautiful private Facebook group. But one thing that I love is that it seems like people in the group really help each other out. Like for example, if someone has a child who's at University of whatever and the child is sick or needs something, I've noticed that they can say something in the group, like, does anyone live in this city? Can you help my kid? And it feels like there's lots of people that are there that are willing to kind of step up and say, yeah, I'm here. Let me help your child. I mean, don't you feel like you've really kind of created this community where strangers are willing to help one another's students?
2: we are so excited about that and we have to give all the credit to the group is this is not anything that lisa and i tried to organize at all it is completely a function of i think parents you know wanting to help other kids in any way they can and there is a there is a close knit factor i think in the group despite it being so large and and dynamic but we have a listing of parents who have said that they're willing to help and it's, you know, organized geographically. But in early September, it's this, what we've dubbed, you know, hashtag mom at Ford. The mother who was in Oregon put in the group just this notice saying, hey, it's a Saturday. My son is with his dad for the day. Does anybody have, you know, a kid who's in this college town where I live? I'm happy to bake him some cookies or something. And then a few days later, there's a photo of this boy who's a student at the school holding this tray of cookies. And the mother of the son just gushing about how much this meant to her son, you know, to just have this little extra TLC. So in some cases it has been just a one-off where where things have sort of popped up all over the country of parents helping, you know, the kids of parents they've never met. But it's in other cases it's been more substantive where, you know, a parent in a community, uh, in a college town can actually be there to help a kid go to a doctor's appointment or as a sounding board or, or as a mentor. Something that's more than just dropping off you know, a care package. And we do love that. We feel that there are people who have capacity to help others and especially if you, you're hoping that maybe you, you can see that it might be your child someday who needs help. I think it's in Gone with the Wind. I think it was Melanie who said something about wanting to help a confederate soldier or a union soldier because she thought that perhaps there would be some you know union wife helping ashley somewhere along the way and i think it's that same sort of sentiment where you just want to embrace a kid who's the same age as your kid because you just you just want to be part of the the kindness movement
0: you know i i wish more college towns could could kind of develop that relationship with the universities you know closest to us We've got uh, VCU and UVA. They're both fairly large colleges, and, and I'm not sure if the community really embraces the students the way that they could. Lexington has two very small schools, VMI and Washington and Lee. Again, they, when those schools are in session, the population of the, of the town is doubled. I don't know if they have the capacity to do that, but I remember when I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, every cadet got paired up with a sponsor family in Colorado Springs. Oh, nice. And very often it was a military family that was stationed at either the Air Force Academy or one of the other bases around Colorado Springs. Mm. But but more often than not, it was just a civilian family that recognized that we didn't have long vacations. Very right. few of us were going to go home for Columbus Day weekend. And even if we could, if we had the financial means to do that, we didn't have the passes to get off of base that frequently, but we could go in and have dinner with our host family, or we could hang out for a Saturday afternoon and wear civilian clothes, drink soda and be a real regular person for just a few hours. And when I think back on that, the amount of organization that the community had to go through, especially with 1400 new cadets every year. Wow. To organize fourteen hundred new sponsor families for that year, and gosh, you know, it was really nice that they embraced us like that. And and frankly, a lot of those sponsor families became mentors to the cadets, whether it was academically or socially or even militarily.
2: Yeah, that's that's really nice. We are starting to do something to make these projects a little more structured. With some schools, there are, as you, as I'm sure you know kids who come out of the foster system who are college students. And of course, without parents themselves, I think the universities do try and step in and support them. But we're going to try and do a sort of mom at forward project with certain colleges where we have relationships who have significant foster student populations to try and provide them with some of the, you know, care packages and things that other students who do have parents get and they would you know, to help them in this college life of theirs. So we're we're hoping to sort of grow the this kindness project and make it more substantive and a little more part of a structure, a little bit like what you're talking about, Garth, but but not nearly to that degree, not nearly to that personal degree, because we have a we have many volunteers all over the country. And we have more volunteers wanting to do things than we have actual recipients who have raised their hands and said my kid could use some help. So this is a way we can tap into this urge to help and not have it be so tied to a certain geography.
1: That's incredible, actually. What a great
0: idea.
2: We're excited about it. Yeah. I think Penn State is going to be our first college that we'll be announcing, hopefully very shortly.
1: Very
0: cool. That's great.
1: So a lot of times we ask our guests to share with us one special little thriving tip that a little nugget of extra goodness. And we would love to hear... Just any tip that you have that helps you personally thrive in your life or a little bit of extra advice that really helped you thrive when your kids went to school and you found yourself being an empty nester. I think that here's,
2: here's my tip for your listeners We have always had a very dog-centric life. (laughs) My husband and Mm -hmm. I have had a series of four chocolate labs that we, our first one we got before we even married. So they have, you know, been a huge part of our children's lives. And if you've got a college student who's maybe a little bit reluctant to get on the phone with you so you can actually see them. I highly encourage them to, you just suggest that the dog wants to FaceTime with them because it generally (laughs) works all the time that you can enlist the help of your dog to get your kid on the phone and actually see sign of life. I think having that sort of companionship is, I'm just a big dog person. And I think I would say that having canine companionship in your life is hugely valuable. My oldest was a junior and my youngest was in middle school. I became a pet therapy volunteer through New York Presbyterian Hospital. Twice a week, I would take my lab to go and visit people who had, this was a psychiatric campus of, uh, of the hospital, not far from where we live in, in suburban New York City. That sort of got me, I think, back into the workforce. I, I had pivoted and become a stay-at-home mom for a while when our kids were in the sort of late elementary through teen years, and I was looking for something to get myself going again. And I really credit my dog, Moose, with being a great partner. And if any of your listeners are looking for some way they can kind of find more meaning in their life, if they are worried about what they're going to do when their kids go to college definitely encourage them to think about becoming a pet therapy volunteer. As you know, with any volunteer activity, it makes a huge difference to the volunteers. Actually, I found it more beneficial to me than it was to any individual patient, I thought, because it's just such a good thing to do to find an avenue to volunteer. And so for me, it was, it was pet therapy. I'm sure for everybody, they have to find their own thing. But that's another thing that I would say is there's so much need everywhere. And if you're thinking you don't know what you're going to do with yourself once your kids go to school, look around and find a volunteer opportunity.
0: I really love that. So for anybody who's new to the Thrive podcast, I'll give my normal 45 second spiel, cut it down to eight seconds today. I have been managing a cancer issue since 2011. And a couple of years into it, I started doing some volunteer work that wasn't cancer-related. It was just volunteering in the community for various things. And what I found was that helping others in need really took my mind away from my own crappy situation. And I suddenly stopped thinking about... The, the woes of my health concerns and and really channeled that energy into a much more positive manner. And the other thing is, as Emma was going off to school, we grabbed uh, a new dog. And I certainly don't want to ever imply that my dog Charlie has replaced Emma. <laughs> um, however, it's really nice to get up in the morning and recognize that I have to make sure that Charlie's fed and I have to give her a walk and I have to make sure that there are some basic needs being filled for her in order for her to be a good happy dog and so that morning lunch routine and getting emma off to school has really been kind of replaced by let's take charlie to the ball field and run her around a little bit and plus that gives me some exercise as well
1: yeah Um, anytime we can think about others or focus on just really showering someone or something with love i think is what we're all saying everyone wins it's such a win-win for everyone
2: right right well glad to know garth that you're a big dog person too <laughs>
1: i think we we, yeah, we, we both are. yeah i've got a big over 100 pound golden retriever oh, literally, perfect literally well, camped out right by my feet yeah love
2: that Love yes. that! Well, I had to yeah. sequester our other dog in the uh, in the kitchen today because he was starting to yell right before yes. we came. Yeah, so.
1: and then if Just your dog started barking, I think our dogs would start barking, and then they would that would be super cute. Well, do you have a napkinette for
0: us? Of course I have a napkin note. So uh, again, if you're new to the Thrive Podcast, I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. Uh, she is in her second year of college, and I just sent her back with a number of notes pre-written so that she can have one a day. And well, well it's I- it's it's our thing. It's, it's just something that we started connecting on, and it meant something to her, and I felt if it meant something to her, I better pay attention to that. Sure. In anticipation of today's call... I found one that I felt not only touched on Emma and my love for her being a softball player, but also was very much in line with the conversation we were going to have. And the napkin note says, Dear Emma, you will always be welcomed home. Love, Dad. P.S. If you ever lose your way, just take three lefts. You can't miss it. Mm. Because it's three lefts around the softball field and then she's home again.
1: (laughs) I love that.
0: That's great. Very cute. That's
1: really great. Our kids are always welcomed home, and you know, I love. I've heard someone say something like, "I'm not really an empty nester. I'm the nest that they all come home to, and is waiting here for them." So I think that that's exactly what you're saying, Mary. Thank you so much, Mary Dell. Thank you so much for being here today. Please check out Mary Dell Harrington, the website, grown and flown, the grown and flown parents Facebook group, and the book. Grin and Flown, how to support your teen, stay close as a family, and raise independent adults available on Amazon. Again, we are so thankful to have you here today. Thank you. I
2: appreciate the invitation and uh, love talking to you guys.
0: It's been our pleasure. Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com.
1: I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Darren Garth.